for the last four weeks in our Remnant series, we've been going through virtues that we need to live out in the times we find ourselves in so that we have a platform uh, then of sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. A few weeks back, we looked at this idea that we are to have restrain, restraint in the midst of an unrestrained culture. That's really talking about um, the uh, virtue of purity. God calls his people to, to really live differently, to live a pure life. Then the week after that, we talked about being civil in the midst of incivility. Really, that, that's about the virtue of love. We're, we're commanded by Christ in the great commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that begins by at least being civil people in the midst of so much incivility that's going on. Last week, Pastor Deneff talked on this virtue of integrity. Uh, I loved how he showed that it was the intersection of truthfulness, goodness, and courage. Uh, it was just a really illuminating uh, message. And so I was thankful for his willingness to come here and share with us. This morning, I'm talking on this virtue of generosity with you. God's people will stand out in a crowd when we are generous. Here's our baseline thought for this morning. It's our introductory thought. God is generous. Amen? God is generous. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Listen to, listen to uh, John 3, verses 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he was generous, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So, in God's economy, love means generosity. For God so loved, he gave. He's a very generous, generous God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 further clarifies that Jesus is generous. His incarnation and death for us was a generous act. Listen to this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, uh, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor. So that you through his poverty might become what? Rich. When you and I are generous, we look like Jesus, and we testify to the generosity of God. In the times we find ourselves in, the virtue of generosity will show culture that there's a reality beyond the acquisition of stuff, that life is much more than a good house, a big car, and a great IRA. Amen? When we're generous, we're reflective of this God who's so very generous with us. Years before I moved to Brookings, I and a couple of our staff people were asked to help an elderly woman and her um, adult handicapped uh, daughter move. They didn't have any help in town. And um, I was a little reluctant about getting involved like that because I didn't know what that would entail. I didn't know if we really had the resources to, to, to move her. Well, we, we arrive at her house, and we're just, I was dismayed. I walked into the house, and I thought, oh, no, she's a hoarder. Do you know what I'm talking about? She had pathways through her house. I'd never experienced that personally. Stuff was stacked to the ceilings. I'm not kidding you. And you could barely, you have to turn to get through that, that maze of stuff. And I remember talking to 
the associate pastor, and I believe Vicki, my wife, was there with us too. What are we going to do here? We can't even begin to do this. We need like three dumpsters, you know. Most of this stuff needs to be thrown away. I had never ran uh, face into a hoarder. Steve Deneff tells of a story of his own um, about hoarding. He, he, it's, it's, it's about Ru- Ruby, an 80-year-old uh, gal. Uh, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she refused uh, treatment, knowing that she was about to die. Um, she had a really good friend that had been driving around. Her friend's name was Dorothy. Dorothy was not very well off. She was, in fact, uh, what you consider to be poor. At that moment when Ruby got this diagnosis that she was going to pass away, she began to pull out $20 pills out of her purse. Steve said one after another. She just kept kind of, you know, running through the purse and finding a 20. And she just said, here, Dorothy, I'm not going to need this anymore. Here, Dorothy, I'm not going to need this anymore. Here, Dorothy, I'm not going to need this anymore. And Deneff said, I I was witnessing a holy moment. It was like, wow. And and then Ruby said to to, to, uh, Pastor Steve, Listen, you can go to my house anytime you want. I have all kinds of uh, books and materials that you might find some interest in. So he took her up on her offer. Later on, he went to her home and was let in there, and he realized Ruby was a hoarder. Everything was stacked to the ceiling. There was stuff everywhere. And then the moment that he witnessed in the hospital took on a different kind of hue, different kind of look and understanding. He said, I begin to realize really what was happening in Ruby's life when she was diagnosed with this terminal illness. She let go of the possessions of this world and began to realize that she had been wrong and hoarding. And he, and he said, I reflected on that. I was 28 years old at the time. He said, and I reflected on that, and I came to this thought. I am not going to wait until I'm an old man to become generous. I'm going to let God do that work in me now. We look like Jesus when we're generous people. We've got to understand influences in our lives. See, Dorothy was a product of the Great Depression. She lived t- through a time of national scarcity, and so she just saved everything for what could possibly be, for what could possibly happen. We've got to understand that culture can have a profound effect on your view of possession. You just got to understand that. Culture can have a profound effect on your view of possessions. And as followers of Jesus, you and I cannot be influenced by the mindset of scarcity. Amen? Are you hearing what I'm saying? We cannot be controlled by this wrong mindset. Because if we are, we think we have to accumulate stuff. We have to try to get, you know, insulated from what could be. And we could spend all of our time in wrong pursuits. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be prudent people. God says we should be prudent people and foresee the danger that lies ahead and make provision for it. We should be wise and all that. But we cannot be a people that are under the influence of the mindset of scarcity and out of fear we're trying to buffet ourselves against what could be. We cannot have that mindset ever as God's people. Those who love Jesus should have a profound, different influence in their life. Let me give that to you. God should have a profound influence on you towards generosity. God should just have a profound influence on you towards generosity because he's a generous God. He loved and he gave. The more closely you relate to God, the more you walk in step with with Jesus Christ, the more you should be a generous person. Why? Because that's who he is. 
And the closer you get to him, the more you should reflect his image. And generosity will be part of that reflection. Those without God try to safeguard their lives against anything that could be. They try to almost fortify themselves away from risk, so to speak. We can't succumb to that, amen? Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can't have that mindset. We can't be that kind of people. For God to love, he gave. We have to be ones who are willing to give. Malachi chapter 3 is about giving. It's about generosity. And God told the Israelites, you're under a curse because you've robbed me. And they, they ask, well, how have we robbed you, God? And God says, you've robbed me because you haven't given to me what's mine. You haven't brought your tithes and offerings to me. Now, I use this word tithe. Kyle prayed using this word tithe. People don't know what the word tithe means anymore. Let me explain what that word means. It just means you give 10% of what you make. That's all tithe means is one-tenth. And, and basically, you got to understand something about God. He owns everything. Amen? He says, because he's a generous God, I'm going to let you keep 90%. But I want you to give back to me 10%. And here's why. It acknowledges then that I own everything. That's why we do it. We don't do it because the church needs it. We don't do it because uh, of some perverse, uh, you know, attempt to get your money. It is, it's all about being in right relationship with God, acknowledging who God is. Okay, are you understanding this? Giving is about you and your spiritual well-being. It is about you acknowledging, God, you own everything, and I am grateful that you're blessing my life. But here's what God said in Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Listen to this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Do you hear this? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God says when you and I are generous, that is a pathway to blessedness. That's what he promises. It goes against our natural inclination, doesn't it? It goes against sometimes what we would consider common sense. It surely goes against a culture that doesn't understand the way of God. It is not going to make sense, but this is how God does it. I have several friends here at church who say I don't preach enough on money. I don't like preaching on money, and that's not what I'm doing today, preaching on generosity. I know that is a sensitive issue whenever I talk on something like this because people think we're after your pocketbooks. We are not. One fellow has rebuked me several times. He says, you are withholding blessings from people when you do not speak on this topic matter because they don't understand it. They don't get it. When we're generous, God blesses that. Don't you want your people to be blessed? I said, well, yeah. Well, then talk on it some. And so this morning, I'm just going to talk fairly openly with you but I don't have an agenda other than I want you to be blessed. Are you hearing this now? That really is my heart this morning. Because here's the big thought I want us to grapple with today. The remnant is to have a fundamentally, a fundamentally different relationship with the resources than that of people in the mainstream culture. We're just, gonna ha- we're just supposed to have a fundamentally different understanding of how to do life. Now, when I use the word resources, uh, uh, it, it means your, your time that you've been given, your talents that you've been bestowed with, and 
your treasures that you own. It's threefold. It's who you are. These resources, you need to fundamentally use them different because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it so clear that possessions is not the goal of life. And for the believer, we're to put and store treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. When we are generous with our time and our talents and our treasures in a culture that doesn't understand who God is, they begin to wonder, why are you so, so different? And we are creating then like a platform to get up on and to speak and proclaim the gospel message that Jesus saves you. Jesus will give you life and life to the full with some amperage behind it because we live so fundamentally different. You follow what I'm saying? It gives us this validity, this, this, this validating peace to our lives that will help the message impact like it should impact. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at Leviticus 19. And that chapter in the Old Testament is all about holiness. All about holiness. And when I use that word holiness, all that word means is I have set my life apart to God to bring him glory in how I live. Okay? So all holiness means is I have a set apart life that I'm living for the glory of God. And when we read Leviticus 19, which is all about holiness, I, I was amazed when I really began to look at this and realized most of that chapter has uh, the, the theme of how we deal with others. If we're going to be a holy, set-apart people living for the glory of God, we're going to treat other people very differently. And there's a specific portion of it that deals with this topic matter of generosity. It's verses 9 and 10 of Leviticus 19. Listen to it. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time and pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner I am the Lord your God. Basically, part of holiness is having a generous attitude that thinks about others. And what we're being instructed here in Leviticus is this. When you have enough, enough is enough. Leave some for the foreigner and the person not doing so good among you. Now, Israel was supposed to relate to this because Israel at one point was foreigners. They lived in the place that some of these folks were finding themselves in their culture in, this place of scarcity and depravity. And God's basically saying, have an empathetic heart towards those around you. Be generous. Leave some there. That's supposed to be your disposition as a follower of me. It's supposed to be part of the internal makeup of you as a person. You're just generous. Think of others and be generous. Now, we who know Jesus Christ, we should be generous because we, knew, we know some stuff that's about generosity. Because before you know Jesus as your Savior, you're destitute. You're a foreigner to God. You're a refugee from the kingdom of God, so to speak. And when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior in your life, you now become a beloved son or daughter of Jesus. And now you're invited into the richness of his kingdom and to the fullness of life that you never understood before. You didn't even know they asked those questions. We have that perspective. Now we should look at our culture with that empathetic spirit. And we should be generous towards those around us, illustrative of who God is with our 
time and our talents and our treasures so ultimately we can invite people into life in Jesus and life to the full. Amen? Are you hearing me today? That deserves an amen. Amen? It really does. This is, I'm going to say this. This is good stuff. That's kind of what he did last week. I mean, this is good stuff. We have to take it to heart. See, we're not of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're not depending on the ways of man. We're dependent on the ways of God. And generosity is just such a topic where we're dependent on the ways of God. And Jesus, as he always does, when we get to the New Testament, he takes this topic of generosity and he brings it right into the heart as a heart matter. And he teaches that generosity isn't dependent upon your riches. It's not dependent upon whether you're doing well. In fact, we're to be generous when we're not in control. We're to be generous when we're not reaping an abundant harvest. We're to be generous when life isn't going very well. Because we serve a generous God, we're to be a generous people. Listen to this teaching by Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Listen with this filter of understanding God's generosity a little bit more. You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, the wrong way to read this is as a a whole bunch of new rules that we have to obey to be okay with God. What Jesus is getting at here in this teaching is you and I are to have the default disposition of generosity. Irregardless of the circumstance we find ourselves in. Whether things are going well, whether you're in a situation of adversity, whether you're in a situation of scarcity or whatever may be the case, you are to respond naturally to that situation with generosity because you serve a what? Generous God. Okay? It's just who you're supposed to be. Let me give you a couple of these examples fleshed out a bit. This will help. So when, when we're told go the extra mile, that was referring to a, an old Roman custom. When Rome occupied a place, the subjected people, the people brought into subjection, uh, had to abide by this, this law of going a mile. So if I was a Rome, Roman military person, and uh, say Matt Douglas over here was, you know, one of my subjects in my kingdom, so to speak, and I saw Matt by the side of the road, and I had some luggage with me, I could say to Matt, you have to carry my luggage one mile, and he had to carry it one mile. He had to do that. That was Roman law. But Matt would blow my mind. He would blow me out of the water if he said, I'll carry it two miles. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, be generous. If you're asked to go a mile, go too. You're going to just blow their world apart. They're not going to know what's going on. Be generous, even in adversity. When you're sued for your shirt, give them your cloak. That was a big deal. Because in that culture at that time, my cloak, my outer garment, identified me as a person. You could not be sued for your outer garment. That couldn't be taken away from you. It was so vital to you as a person. Jesus said, someone wants your shirt? Give them your cloak. Give them everything. Blow them out of the water with your generosity. See, if you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, your disposition is to be one of generosity. It's just to be who you are. We're to be generous 
people. So here's what I want to do for the remainder of the service this morning. I have a few words that I think just are good words to associate with the term generous. I'm going to meander through these words now. There is no linearity to this thing. If you're trying to go A, B, C, D, I'm going to frustrate you like crazy right now. Not the point. The point is, when you think of the word generous, some of these words should percolate in your mind. Some will be more important to you than others. That's okay. But I think it's important to kind of begin to grapple with what does it mean to be a generous person because we serve a generous God. So here are words for the generous this morning. The first one is this, provision. Provision. you got to come to this place where you really believe that God is your provider. The book of Exodus is all about Israel being delivered from Egypt. Now, how they got there in the first place was because of a famine, because of scarcity. And God had brought Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, one of Israel's sons, into this position of being second in all of the land of Egypt. Uh, he could interpret dreams, and he, he could foresee this famine coming, and so Pharaoh put him in charge of everything. Well, when Pharaoh found out that he had a family and that they'd come back to get some food and supplies during this time of famine, Pharaoh said, hey, they can come and they can be in part of this land and all that. And so basically they took a piece of the best land of Egypt, the, the, a piece of Goshen, okay, the best land of Egypt. Well, then that Pharaoh passed away, that generation passed away. They didn't remember uh, the deliverance that Joseph brought to them through, the, you know, God's giving him the ability to interpret dreams. And they begin to see all these Israelites in their midst populating a crazy, and they became threatened by Israel. And so they took Israel from Goshen, so to speak, to the brickyards of Egypt, so to speak, and made them slaves. And they had to produce bricks for the Egyptian economy. And in the brickyard, the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites excuse me, learned something. If I don't provide, I don't survive. If I don't produce, I don't survive. They learned that lesson. It was a hard lesson for them uh, to, to unlearn. And so when God delivered them, the Israelites, from Egypt, he not only delivered them from their captivity, but he wanted to deliver them from this wrong idea that I have to produce to survive, that I have to put something out there to do okay. And so if you read the, 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 the deliverance of, of Israel carefully in the Old Testament there in Exodus and, and so forth, you will see God's constantly saying, I am the Lord God who provides. I am the Lord God who provides. I am the Lord God who provides. They get to the edge of the Red Sea and he parts the waters from I am the Lord God who provides. So then they get to the edge of the promised land and they refuse to go into the promised land and they have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness, yet God provides for them. He provides manna for 40 years. Uh, You know this, what is it from heaven? That's what manna means, basically. What is it from heaven? This food, they did nothing to deserve it. Now, some people couldn't get through the brickyard mentality. So God says, just, you know, gather enough for the day. Some think, oh, I better, what if God doesn't come through? What if? And they gather extra because they had the brickyard mentality. I have to provide. What happened to that manna? Do you remember? Rotted, had worms in it. When you think of generosity, you have to, have to understand God provides. Amen? It's got to be a word that comes to your mind. Second word is contentment. Contentment needs to come to mind. When the Lord told the Israelites, leave the edges of the field, leave some of the grapes hanging on the, on the vines, basically what he's saying is learn to be content. Enough is enough. At some point, enough is enough. Amen? You don't need it anymore. And this is a question to ask. What do I need to live on? We need to ask that question. When is enough enough? 
And each one of us are going to maybe come to a little bit of a different answer to that. But each of us needs to grapple with this question, when is enough enough? Are you grappling with that? Because if you don't grapple with this, you're going to succumb to the challenge of our times, which is this. There's a natural tendency to have more and just to want more. That is just the beast of culture. Have more, want more, bigger, better, newer, fancier, new color, whatever, I don't know. You know, there's this constant kind of bombardment. You need more, you need more. We have to become content people. If we're going to be generous, we have to become content people. Do you agree with me on that? Amen? Okay, good enough. Next word when it comes to generosity is giving. Giving. You, it's very difficult to be a generous person when you don't give, when you refuse to give. Now, when I use the word giving, I mean giving of your time and your talents and your treasures. Whenever I speak on giving, I think a natural wall is put up because people think I'm after something. I'm not. This is for your good. Let me meander a little bit around this point. We're at a rest stop. It's a big rest stop. There's a lot of sights to see here, okay? So let me meander, meander around this a little bit. Um, Ruby, it took Ruby 80 years and a terminal illness to figure out the power of giving. And she began to give away. You know what giving does? It frees you from the tyranny of possessions. It frees you from the enslavement of the material. So when you give, one of the personal benefits that you receive is freedom. You break the power of stuff in your life. Stuff isn't to govern us. We're to steward our stuff. Our stuff isn't to steward us. Amen? And so when you give and you have that kind of attitude in life, it will break bondage of the material, of the tyranny of the here and now. There's a big misconception when it comes to giving that you have to have shattered in your life. I just want to smash it to smithereens this morning. And it's this. I need to be rich to give. Uh-uh. That's a misconception about giving. You do not need to be rich to give. You're to have a generous disposition because it's a characteristic of the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're supposed to use what God has given you to glorify him and to bless others. It's not an amount. It's an attitude of the heart. This is what the parable of the talents is all about. In the parable of the talents, uh, Jesus tells a story of a master who is going away on a trip. So he gets his three servants and he gathers them to himself and he says to one servant, here's five talents, uh, make good with it basically. Here's two talents to the second servant, make good with it. And to the third servant, he, uh, servant, he gives one talent. Do what, what you can with this. And then he goes off on his trip. Well, the five talent, two talent uh, servants do really well and they double their, their uh, you know, amounts of, of money. But the third servant just dug a hole in the ground and hid the money. And then the master returns, and he says to the first two servants, the five and two uh, talent servants, well done, good and faithful servants. You're invited into my happiness. And he gives them more responsibility. But to the last servant, he says this, you wicked, lazy servant. Could at least put my money in the bank, got some interest. And, they, and he said, throw them to the tormentors, and what he has, give to the other ones. Now, here's, here's something. I want you to think on this with me for a moment. What we tend to do in our culture is vilify the rich. Right? Come on, do we not do that? We do. 
and we elevate poor and somehow we make that spiritual. Who's the villain in this parable? Come on, who is it? The one with the least. Why? Why is that servant the villain? Because he didn't use it for God. Now, his reasoning might have been, I don't have that much, or like he said in the, in the parable, I'm afraid of my master, he's a harsh, mean man, or whatever. But he had the least, and he didn't use it for God. And it kind of blows your stereotypes out of the water. Amen? Doesn't it? A little bit? I think it's intended to do that. Paul the Apostle, in writing a letter to the Corinthian church, really, really praised this people called the Macedonians for their generosity. Listen to what he says. He's writing all this to the Corinthian church. He's trying to get them to be generous like the Macedonians. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. So these Macedonians were extremely poor, welled up into what? Rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. So here you got, Paul is, is kind of raising some money for the poor people in Jerusalem and the Macedonians pleaded, please let me give, please let me give. And Paul said, wow. They gave out of their scarcity and poverty and he was encouraging the Corinthian church to be generous in that same kind of way. So it's a misconception to think that you have to be rich to give. Amen. Are you seeing this? Are you, are, you really, are you with me? Yeah, it's a misconception that needs to be blown out of the water. I want to bring some concrete to this example, literally. So we've been doing this phase two here at the church. This is just an example. Not the end all. It's one tiny minutia example. Okay, oh, how generosity can work. So we had this $3 million expansion. I'd rather do anything but fundraise in my life. Do you realize that? I'd rather have teeth drilled on, wisdom tooths extracted. Is that helping you? I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. It doesn't bring me any life. I don't, I don't want to do it. But yet, God has been blessing us we're a generous church. This facility is used all the time. You have the misconception there's a lot of room because you come to third hour. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here third hour. During the week, we're packed to the gills and um, we're just running out of space. We let all kinds of community organizations use our building. And so we've been raising money for this $3 million project. So far in pledges, we have $1.9 million raised. That's a lot. I mean, that's praise God, amen? That's a lot. It blows me out of the water. Some of you wanted to clap, didn't you? Go ahead. That's okay. That's cool. It's really cool. But here's the deal. Now, get this. Please get this. Most of that money has come from a few people who are very generous givers. And they have bought, so to speak, a cinder block worth of the building. They have purchased a large piece of this for the benefit of Grace Point. We're to this place now where I'm calling the whole body, be part of this. Be part of what God is up to here. You probably can't afford a cinder block, most of you, but you know what you can afford? A brick. Some smaller amount. Amen, right? You might not even miss it. Vicki and I were talking about this. I got more time, so I'm sharing more. Um, 
you know, because we don't have baptism, so just bear with me. Vicky and I were talking about some of the situations that are going around the world where these hurricanes have really hurt people. You, are you with me on this? They're without electricity, food, and water. And she was saying, we should give some money to the, some of these organizations. There's some place, of, you know, the Western Church is helping a lot. And, and so I said, well, what do you think? And she said, well, I don't know, 50 bucks. I said, nah, give a couple hundred dollars. We won't even miss it. Why wouldn't we do that? Right? We won't even miss it. That was, the word just rolled off my mouth. We won't even miss it. It won't even affect us at all. Why wouldn't we help people? Amen? And some of us can give to the church five to hundred to a thousand dollars over three years. That's what we're talking about. You won't even miss it. It's like 10 bucks, 20 bucks a month. But if we get four or 500 family groups doing that, guess what? That's huge for the church. That gift matters. So if you can't give a brick, you know what you can do? You can give this <laughs> piece of brick facade. <laughs> Follow what I'm saying? Every bit matters. I'm going to tell you why this matters in a moment. Same thing when it comes to being generous towards missions, being generous towards needs. You don't have to give thousands of dollars. Maybe you can give 50 bucks to help somebody. It helps like crazy in those things. When we do faith promises, we ask for missionaries. 50 bucks? If a bunch of people gets 50 bucks, we can support a whole bunch of people. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's not hard on anybody. At any rate, let me talk a little bit more with you on giving since I'm really talking on giving and I know you're loving this. I've heard people say, well, I can't tithe until I have more money. I'm going, well, I don't think you can afford not to tithe because that's what God blesses, right? Here, here's some of the logic. Well, I'll wait until I make $50,000 a year before I tithe or $100,000 a year before I tithe. Get this. Because I started tithing when I was 20. And it was my wife's idea and I thought she was crazy. Because we were in college. I was pursuing mechanical engineering at the time. She was an architect major. We had no money. We made 10000 a year. What's a tithe of that? 1000 She said we should tithe. I said, what? But here's what I learned. If you can't tithe on $5,000, that's $500, or $10,000, $1,000, all of a sudden when you're making $50,000, and you're going, that's $5,000, woo! Don't know if I can do that. Or $100,000, that's $10,000, woo! It seems too big and insurmountable. That's why you start when it's small. Follow what I'm saying? Just advice on giving. But here's why I talk on that. It's not about the church needing your money. I am the most grateful person ever that my wife did that. Because we were college students. I was going to be a mechanical engineer, got hired at 3M. She was an architect major. She was going to go into architect. Then we had babies. She never did that. We had six babies. She stayed home. Because that's what she wanted to do. That was the best thing I ever did in my life was listen to my wife's counsel that way. Because I realize now what blessing took place in my life because my heart went to the things of God because I gave to the things of God, which is going to bring us to this next point. This next point is super important. It's called the treasure principle. Your heart follows your treasures. What you give to is where your heart goes. Um, in fact, this is stated for us in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what you invest in captures your heart. This is why this matters. This is why this matters. Some who have given large amounts like this, praise God for them, amen? But if you give nothing, your heart doesn't go there. And I want our heart to be here. So if you give this amount or this amount, your heart still goes there. Because what you give to captures your heart, amen? 
That's why this is important. So that's why I say, give something to some missionaries. Give something to some world relief. That captures your heart then. And you begin to pray for them. We have Kendra, a, a, a picture up on our, our fridge there. Kendra and Casey. And every day I see them. And I pray for them. They, they capture my heart. So when they come here, I'm really interested in their life. But what you give to, what you invest in, captures your heart. So listen to this now. This is really Really important. If you give your life, your time and your talents and your treasures to Jesus, what captures your heart? Jesus. Right? Right? Church, listen. We have to kill consumerism. Christianity is not about what I get. Christianity is quickly about what I give and it's generosity. And if we will give of our time and our talents and our treasures to Jesus Christ, it will capture our heart, right? And that's why when I was 20 years old, just married a week, and we started tithing, I think that was one of the best things we ever did because I was a follower of Jesus. I had a radical conversion, but that began to solidify something in me that was profound, that, that just captured my heart. That's why giving is important for you. It's not that important for the church. It's important for you because it solidifies something. God uses it. He blesses it. At any rate, I need to keep going here. This is a word I got from Aaron. Aaron's a real smart guy, smarter than I am. So we we're talking about this whole giving, and he said, it transcends everything. I said, you're exactly right. This Generosity, this giving transcends everything. It transcends how you use your time. It transcends how you use your talents. It transcends how you use your resources. It's an all-consuming approach to doing life. Because God is generous, we're to be generous, and it transcends into every area of our lives. Hey, last word, and then we're done. Last word when it comes to this idea of generosity, and that's hospitality. God's people are called to be hospitable people. And that just means a willingness to invite others into your life. You see, we think of hospitality as having a big meal and inviting some people over. Well, God wants us to be hospitable in that I invite others into my life. You know what we've been doing in this country for years? We've been throwing money at poverty. Has it worked? No. Because it's not a money problem. Do you understand that? It's not a money problem. A lot of the folks that are embedded in poverty in our culture are in these really, really, really terrible situations. They lack access. They lack good role models. They lack basic skills. When something good does happen, they have a lot of people ready to prey on them and take it right away from them. And what we have to do is invest in other people's lives and invite them into our lives. It's not about, here's 20 bucks, go get some bread. That's not going to do any good we got to invite them into health, into vibrancy, into the life of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Can you imagine if God looked down upon you and said, I see you in the poverty of your sinfulness. Here's 20 bucks. Good luck, buddy. Good luck. You know what I mean? No, he invites us into his kingdom, doesn't he? He says, come into my kingdom. Have a relationship with me. Learn of me. I'm gentle. I'm humble. Come to me. He cries out, invites us into his life. That's what Jesus does. He invites us into his life. He's so generous. So you and I are to invite others into our lives. We're to be hospitable. 
I don't know what that means yet. I've been working on it in my own life. What does it mean to invite others into my life with that kind of vulnerability and transparency? And then here's a reflection thought and we're done. Here's a reflection thought. Generosity will necessitate a stewardship approach then to life. See, we got to understand we don't own anything. God owns everything. Right? We steward it. We steward our time, talents, and we steward our treasures for the glory of God. But he owns it. We do not own it. Amen?